Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast, hosted by Danny DiCchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. It's a special occasion podcast today, Family Day. James Sharman, Craig Forrest, Danny DiCchio. We knew that you wanted, you needed to hear from us on this, this oh-so-important festive holiday. So we thought we'd leave our families at home, to hell with them, and we'd come downtown Toronto to Betty's today, uh, one of my favorite drinking establishments for many years, actually, lived around the corner for a few years, Betty's on King and Sherbourne, to, uh, to talk some football, talk all things footy prime. Um, how's family day been for you so far, fellas, this, this, this wonderful weekend? It's been uh, pretty um, low-key. Yeah? Yeah. I'm with my. Uh, We're all happy that family. I'm, I'm here, with my other football family today. With my, my, my TV family and podcast family. Jeff Cole and uh, Dan Wong here. That's right. It's good. Dan brought one member of his family with him. Lila Wong. Lila Wong's here. I was meant to bring two of my sons, but one's in bed and one's at his girlfriend, so <laughs> that didn't work out too well. We hope. I actually. For, for Family Day weekend, I was dragged out cross-country skiing yesterday for the first time, basically, and I'm happy to say it'll be the last time as well. <laughs> what a miserable, miserable experience that was. I've, never, bloody I've, never, I've never, ever understood cross-country skiing. See, I mean... You, I, you I, like I, walking, aren't you? Basically, yeah, yeah, but there are some down, downhill parts, oh, yeah, and it it's nothing like regular risky. skiing, because they've got edges, which I found out. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's like having sex with a deck chair. That's what I felt like at times, you know, just falling over clumsily, and now I'm in pain, and it was an awful experience. So you've done that regularly then? Uh, Having sex with a deck chair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yes, yeah, family day, so, you know, our, our theme today is going to be focusing more on the whole uh, Man City um, issue, shall we say, from this past week or so. Uh, loyalty in football, what does that mean for City from a player standpoint, from a coaching standpoint but let's begin talking some, some family stuff shall we, and, and we always hear about family clubs, clubs that are run like their family you know, Ipswich, your old club Craig yeah. for example, was called a family club I think Sunderland Beach was known as a family club at times, what the hell does a family club mean? Very good question I don't really know, quite honestly um, I mean it's certainly a situation where it was sold to me as a young lad going to Ipswich as a 16-year-old and loyalty and family and 
these sort of things were sold on flares, and in the end, I'm not sure if any of that sort of matters anyway. You know, at the end of the day, does the club really give a crap about the flares? You know, not really. And you know that going in, each mm -hmm. you, you know, you're used for what you are, and you know, when you're positive to the club, they're going to keep doing it, keep using you, and when they're not, they're going to finish with you, they wash their hands with you. That's yep. just the reality of your yeah. business. From experience, and, and you talk about Sunderland, the family club means when the club take care of not just the player, but also the families that associate with the player. So whether it be the wife, the kids, the children, and, and I can't take nothing away from Sunderland because they knew that was a big part of what we were trying to achieve. And we were a, a group of players, some of us just had new children, new, new, new babies in the firm, and some of us had, had kids that were a little bit older. But the way they integrated the, the families, it really took a lot of pressure off the players because there's a saying, a, a happy wife, happy life off the field. And, and I can't stress that enough. I really can't because the, the players socialize together and we're away for long periods, whether it be on away games or uh, team trips, team bonding trips. But the club made sure, whether it be in the players' lounge or doing dinners for the wives or just going that extra mile for, for the kids as well to make them socialise with each other. Because being up in Sunderland, you've got players from all different necks of the woods, from England and, and Britain, actually. So bringing that group together was, was really special. And I, I still speak to a lot of the players that, that uh, I played with there and... It's great seeing how that their children have grown up now and are either playing or doing other stuff, and we keep in contact that way. So I really feel that's a big part of it. And I've played for clubs as well that didn't give a shit about what your wives or what your your kids were doing. Is it the smaller towns you think that are a little bit more? I mean, you do socialise more when you're in a smaller town with the other players, whereas in London, players go everywhere, different places. Socialize. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean, QPR is is a smaller club compared to the likes of like your Arsenal's and Tottenham's in London, and there wasn't really a, a family vibe there. I was a younger player, of course, but there wasn't yeah, a family exactly. vibe. Perhaps yeah, maybe that was maybe that was because you were you know a younger guy, yeah. doing terrible things on the weekends, maybe. hanging out with your family, maybe. But um, I, I truly believe that. And, and in, incidentally, Toronto FC was, was very similar because when we first started up in 2007, 2008, there wasn't even a player's lounge back then. Like my wife had to go to Ikea and, and buy certain stuff for in Another Ikea <laughs> reference. There you go. by Ikea. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> every show. But she had to buy dogs? certain stuff. Are they a dollar hot dogs? <laughs> they used to be. Yeah, they still are. Maybe. But no, she had to buy stuff to, to come and put into a room that wasn't even really for the, the, the players' wives. They, did, they didn't think of that because we were a new club. But now I look at what the club do for players, girlfriends, wives, kids. It's unbelievable. I mean, they're down in Los Angeles at the moment. The, they, the, the players' wives have been flown out there. Mm. And the kids have been flown out there to spend time with them. But home games, the way they look after them, and it's... it's that added piece to make you feel that you are part of a family. Because here in Toronto as well, we have players that have come from all around North America and even Europe as well. It's very yeah. hard to settle in. It's very hard to, to understand that, okay, you're playing for a team, but also 
your wife's visa or your kid's schooling is being sorted out by someone that works for the club. That's that's a, a, a lot of pressure taken off the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. But I mean, you talk about certain teams having that, that family feel as far as maybe older players with families, but were you ever at clubs or within a club where it was very much the opposite, very much a bunch of young guys before they'd, they'd reached the family stage? How yeah. different was that to a room full of guys with kids and wives at home? Well, you're always going to have a varying group of players from young to older to having two, three, four kids like Danny and the other ones that have none, <laughs> you know, and they're out partying and doing their things on the weekend. So all that is trying to, you know, manage all that together too, right? I Can mean, it cause an issue though in the room? I mean, when you have such different lifestyles. Well, it's just the way it is. I mean, it's certainly, you know, is an issue? No, not really. No. Like the married guys aren't like resenting the young guys. <laughs> Damn it. Well. They're a bit too young. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, you got to think of it from the manager's point of view, too. He's, how, he, how these guys deal with this. You know, we talk about tactics and all these things that managers have to deal with. But I think the most important thing is dealing with individuals, players, Agreed, yeah. you know, and all, di- all different levels of, of progression and maturity. Okay, so ideally, would a manager rather have player who is, is a family man but has that distraction as well you know he, he's got the young kids at home for example um, or would you rather have the, the young unattached guy who can really focus obviously has a good time on the side but can really focus mm. on his football from a managerial standpoint what's the perfect situation with the football well, I know for sure back in the day Sir Alex Ferguson wanted players especially when he was signing players that were married which is interesting, an interesting concept because he knew that they were kind of settled down. They weren't going to be going out partying all the time. He had a, a a wealth of younger talent coming through the academy at Manchester United back in the, in the 90s. And we can talk about the class of 92 and what they went on to do. But he, it was an interesting concept to me because, okay, we're bringing in players maybe a little bit older than the younger guys we've got coming through, but are going to help those younger guys to maybe settle down a little bit pull back the reins but also knowing that they're going to be playing for Manchester United Football Club where there was a big drinking culture back in the 80s and 90s but also that they were settled down with wives and kids already so they, he actually wanted to go out and get family men. But then, then Beckham meets Plosh and he's upset about that as well you, know, you can't win can you? Fergie what is it? Yeah that was, was different. Upset about that, that was different <laughs> I think it was uh, the stardom and all the stuff that came, came along with, with David seeing Victoria it's worked out, hasn't it? It's worked out perfectly for David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for both, for both, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, I mean, without, I mean, it's. I don't want to sound chauvinistic here at all, right? But the fact is, you know, being a footballer's wife, um, that's that's an important role as well, right? That's a tough gig, isn't it? As far as what's happening, you know, at home, because as a footballer, you're so focused on playing. I know you've got a lot of time at home as well, but you are off on road trips. You know, how important is it to have that that strong? person at home taking care of all the business outside of football that's important really important uh i was fortunate that way that uh, i didn't have to do much um except look after myself um my partner was well in tune with that as well and you understood that it was really a short career and you have to make sure that your body was right and you're ready for training you're ready for playing and uh that's essential it really is a very important part of it too they so the partners and wives have to understand as well the business and it's not easy some of them like love it they like to be part of the wags you know and want to be somewhat famous themselves and then other ones don't care at all and Mm. try to keep themselves to themselves so you get the mixture of different uh, wives and girlfriends and what they how they want to take part 
I think we're spoiled in a way as well because we're we're completely ob- uh, oblivious at times to what the wives have to go through and whether it be packing up the house and moving to a new town, a new city, your kids included as well. All the drama and the shit that goes on surrounding football, footballers, especially in, in Europe where you could be out on a night out with, with the players and there's numerous stories going on in the local tabloids, the weekend tabloids. And it's, it's a very stressful time for a footballer's wife to, to have children, to go through that stage of their lives and obviously stay attached to someone that they love very much, but the, the player is kind of in love with himself and what he's doing in the professional grand scheme of things and he's in the public eye and you have to have a very strong bond, you know, a very strong bond and a lot of trust as well. And that's why, you know, like Craig mentioned, it's easier if, if, if she comes from that football world to a certain degree. Isn't just thrown into it at 25, 26. You know, you know what's going on, mm-hmm. yeah. right? But uh, yeah, I can imagine. I tell my wife sometimes, you know, I've got to, watch this game I can't be cooking or washing the dishes and it just it doesn't go down well but I've got to work tomorrow I say to her you know, James, I've got, I've got to watch to, this game don't you have to look into the camera when you say that yes. <laughs> she's not watching this trust me she's not watching this well, there's no chance just... she's watching this <laughs> is that the right camera there <laughs> but yes that's, uh, there's always a, a strong woman behind a great man that's for sure and vice versa Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like I'm freaking balancing here, playing a balancing. Act. What do I say here? I'm not entirely sure what I should be saying, what I shouldn't be saying here. Uh, I can get, get love a couple a of pints down, charms. <laughs> get everyone in a lot of trouble here. I think. Well, she's not listening. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. I'm referring to you guys more than me, to be honest with you. Um, by the way, did you you show me this this morning? Each this this great commercial in England talking about family clubs and, and Liverpool's renowned for being a yeah. family club, whatever that means. Um, Bob Paisley and Ian Rush, yeah. the great Bob Paisley, of course, you know, the late Bob Paisley. There's a commercial, I, I tweeted it out this morning, and I think uh, Footy Prime will tweet it out as well. Um, basically, Ian Rush, modern-day Ian Rush, walks into a cafe, sits down, has a drink and a, a coffee, and talks to the legendary Bob Paisley, who, who gave Ian Rush his break, and obviously yeah. it's done in post-production. It looks incredible. Amazing. It, it's emotional watching that, actually, yeah. right? It's so well done. Yeah. So it got me thinking for, for you two. I mean, Ian Rush kind of credits Bob Paisley for his career, saying, you know, if not for you, Bob, I wouldn't be, you know, where I am because of the advice you gave me as a young player, how you motivated me. Is there some of that, someone that you would want to be in a coffee shop being filmed, talking to at some point? Yeah, there is. Um, the likes of Bobby Robson, who was at Ipswich, you know, prior just left the year I arrived. Um, and as a manager that, coached me for several years was John Lyle, former West Ham when he came to Ipswich Town. Just a, a genius in so many ways. Dealing with people, tactics, way ahead of his time. Goes back to you know Ron Greenwood at West Ham You know, taught by some of the very best coaches. Was at West Ham for years and years and uh, yeah yeah, he's uh, passed away a few years ago but what a, what a fantastic individual. And most you know, guys that I know that work with John Lyle too would say that he was the best Paul Lins, you know, loved John Lyle. When he so without John Lyle, you don't think you would have stuck around in the well, Premier League? Well, you may have done. But yeah, he, no, that's, he, he that, a that's a good point. It. I mean, he was, uh, with the squad we had, I think he kept us in the Premier League for three years. And uh, and I think that was a small miracle, really? to be honest. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of resources, kept the team the same as we got promoted with. And just his, his nuances of the game were uh, different class. How would he deal with you as a player? Were you someone that would... would 
be motivated through the rah-rah, or was it more of a sh- arm around the shoulder? He was pretty calm for the most part. You know, come in, people would be screaming at half time, things going pat sideways. He would just go over, get his tea, <laughs> quietly stir his tea, put about five sugars in it, and then uh, turn around and tell us how we're going to get a result. And you believed him? Oh, totally believed him. He was, yeah, different class. Because that's something, right? Imagine in, in the room when your coach is telling you, this is what we're going to do to win today, no matter who you're playing. There must be many occasions where you're like, you're having a laugh. Like when, when um, Harry Redknapp said to you guys, we can win the league, fellas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's those moments. Yeah. And there's those moments where, you know, a coach comes and says, you know, you know boys, we, we can win this game or we can win this wherever it's going to be. Yeah. Oh, I remember we going to Manchester United too. And John Lyle, I mean, he was, you know, the academy of football, the way he played, the West Ham way <clears throat> was brilliant. But we had to win games or try to get results uh, with this squad. I remember going to Old Trafford and getting a nil-nil. We never played with a striker, a uh, recognized striker, which is really sort of unheard of. Uh, just clogged the wings, stopped them from getting in wide positions, frustrated them. wasn't pretty. wasn't pretty at all. And then I remember Kevin Keegan at Newcastle. We did sort of the same thing. Uh, stifled the game. Awful spectacle. Got a, re- <laughs> got a result. And Kevin Keegan went over to John Lyle. He's like, John, like, this isn't your way. This isn't the... He's like... You see my squad, yeah, right. You got to do what you got to do. But you also knew exactly what Keegan's team was going to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, it wasn't like they they might be sitting back today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, happen, exactly. Right? I think John, uh, as far as tactically goes, John Lyle and Kevin Keegan, they're not in the same. I have two people that I would like to have sat sit down with. First oh. of all, the, the <laughs> late positive or negative, the late Ray Wilkins, because he was a, a big part of my my career. He was a mentor to me. He was also. Uh, a London boy, but he used to Speaking speak of the Ray truth. Ray Wilkins, I mean, he, here's a guy that I met a few times, but class guy, yeah, gentleman, yeah. living in that world. He still always held that that grace about him. He, yeah, like he spoke the truth when he didn't shout a lot, but when he spoke a little bit like John Lyle, as you're saying, he spoke with uh, an understanding that it would get through to the certain player that he was talking to. He knew when to raise his voice. He knew when to put his arm around people. But he was a, a, a big mentor to me that sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But a cracking guy. And you speak to anyone that, that come into kind of, whether it be a conversation or on the field, playing next to him, playing against him, just a, a, a super guy, you know, a, a real classy guy. And over also the years, a great player. E- great player. Yeah, easy to become cynical. Um, and he never, never did that. Always very positive yeah. gentleman. He done a lot for me, and he done a lot for a, l- a lot of players, younger London boys coming up in in difficult mm-hmm. circumstances. But he was always that guy that you could talk to, um, like a like a dad as well as a coach. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of guys, I think, would say that coaches are really important, are they? I mean, not only for your development as a player, but everything else too yeah. that comes into play. All the other factors, which, as we've spoken factors. about before, that, that that backpack that a lot of players have got on their back that we don't really know what's inside it. And it could be it could be mental health issues that are going on. It could be the, 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 the mum and dad have separated of that person. He could have split up with his girlfriend or boyfriend, whoever it is. Um, he could be going through a, a, a time in his life where he, he doesn't feel he, he's adequate or good enough to play for that club. So there's a lot going into the cognitive and mental side of things now, helping these younger players, which I think is fantastic. It really is, because we didn't have that back in the day. 
we did not have that back in the day. No. Well, I mean, a lot of these kids are with their coaches more than their parents. <coughs> yeah. Right? I, I, I see a lot of my players at TFC more than I see my own kids, like yeah. my two oldest kids. I Actually, we, we, we speak about professional guys we want to sit down with, but your youth coaches and the ones that I remember the most are the ones from years and years when I was first starting out. You know, youth, Even youth coaches at Ipswich Town or before that, you know, Bob Zabba was my coach in Coquitlam. Uh, fantastic. I was lucky to have him and uh, Roly, the uh, goalkeeper coach as well. They were knowledgeable and very, very fortunate. They have a massive influence on you moving forward too mm. as a, as a, as a person. an extended part of your family. Yeah. You know? like yeah. I, I saw that a little bit. Uh, I was coaching some goalkeepers yesterday um, with John Marrera and his group and just a fantastic group of kids. They're so coachable. Their attitude was amazing. Different levels of skill but still love the game just as much and they just see that and the influence that they uh, that you can have on these kids. I yeah. think that's why the coaches, why coaches do it at the youth level. Yeah. And I don't even think they realize they, they some of them the influence that they actually do have, and it's massive. It can go both ways, you know. For yep. example, Mr. Brahms and Mr. Nelson, well, fuck you both. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always that, yeah. So that and my man. high school coach. <laughs> can you look in the camera and look at yeah. them both? <laughs> <laughs> Once again, eh? <laughs> tell them. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I failed Maybe soccer. It, it could have been that I was just terrible. It, it could have yeah. been that, but you know, they didn't encourage me. And, uh, they encouraged <laughs> you to quit football. <laughs> and not just football. I, I made the rugby team. And then cricket. I was good at cricket. And then we had what one position. Was you at cricket? Was you I a was, bowler? I was a bowler. Yeah, medium fast. Left out. Ball a little oh, bit. Not yeah. bad. Yeah. What's that? Left out. <laughs> Left out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but I remember one infamous trial. You know, and I, I played really well. Took a few wickets, and then I, I was so shy back in those days. Were you a speed bowler or a spin? Yeah, mi- medium, medium pace, medium fast, medium, medium, medium fast. Medium fast. <laughs> I was eleven years old. All <laughs> oh, right. Well, yeah. for fifteen at this point. Yeah. But yeah, and, and and he goes, Mr. Brahm. No, Mr. Nelson. It was. He goes, yeah, yeah, you. Make sure you give me your name when we get back inside. You know, for the for selection. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm so excited. And I walk into the office, and he goes, oh yeah, don't worry, Jason. I've got your name. And he wrote down another name, Jason Devere's or something. And I saw him write it down. And it wasn't me, but I was so freaking shy, I didn't say anything. And Jason Devere's was shit. <laughs> he was terrible, but he made the bloody team. And he I didn't. never got a look in. And I've been holding that ever since, as you can tell. This is like a counseling session for Shams. It is. I could have been something great. I could have been winning the act. I could have been Shaman's Ashes in 2005, not Freddy's. We're going to need a couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the second. Uh, you mentioned the first. Okay, uh, my Ray second Wilkins. one is going totally off of football here. It's Robert Nesta Marley. Robert Nesta Marley. Sir Robert Nesta Marley. Bob Marley. Oh, okay. If you don't okay. know that. No, no, we do. Yeah. Just a legend in his own way. Gone too soon. Yep. Had some... Very interesting. Club? Very interesting. Was he 27? Was, was he 27? Yeah, he was. Part right? of 27 yeah. club. Very interesting kind of ideas. You wouldn't be having coffee though, would you? No, we wouldn't be having coffee. He'd <laughs> be at a cafe. I don't know what we'd, we'd have a cafe. We'd be on the beach somewhere. Yeah. He'd probably like Just Canada now. Discussing life and discussing life. Philosophy. Loved football. Yeah, he did. Mm. Scottish father. Just. So I loved that. So your perfect dinner party would be Bob Marley, Ray Wilkins. Yeah. And you. Yeah. And I'd have to throw a comedian in there somewhere. So maybe Dan Wong. <laughs> Dan Wong would be everyone's <laughs> perfect dinner <laughs> guest. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Craig, if you're having that old dinner party conversation, you know? Who, who's at your table? Who's at my table? Outside, even outside of football? Yeah, sure. Donald Trump. Be interesting. Oh, wouldn't nice. it? Be, be tiresome, wouldn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just throw pelters at him. Oh yeah, but I'm sure he'd give it back. Wouldn't yeah. He? Oh, probably. Give me a nickname. Yeah, hey, sure. lanky. Yeah, hey, that is something. something. Yeah, yeah, probably not as nice as that. <laughs> probably not actually. No. No. To ask him what the hell's going on. Would it be just two of you, candlelit, or there'd be someone else there? No, I'd have to have somebody else there. He might be. He might grab me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> All right, so Donald Trump's at Dan <laughs> Creek's table. I suspect that Dan Wong's thought about this many times in his life. His yeah. his table. Yeah, my. I, you talk. My mic's not working as well as yours. <laughs> Who's Mer- yours, Shams? Freddie Mercury and Hitler. Yeah? yeah. Freddie Mercury and Hitler. Yeah. Interesting. Wouldn't that be interesting? That would be very interesting. I mean, I'd love to just sit down and just, just get inside the mind of someone that's innately evil. It's yeah. Freddie Mercury. No, as, as Hitler. <laughs> as Hitler. I don't Wouldn't think Freddie and Hitler would get along very well. I don't yeah. think so. Not very well at all. No. There'd yeah. be plates being thrown across the room. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it would be, <laughs> it'd be a short they, dinner. Maybe they'd go, say, mustache. Say mustache, man. True. That's a maybe good they, point. Discuss mush. Do you use oil? Do you brush? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting derailed quickly, isn't it? You started, Deesh, by Sorry. bringing Bob Marley into the conversation. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Loyalty in football and whole man city. Now, it's, it's hard to discuss the city situation somewhat because it's moving, it's evolving each day. You know, it seems as if there's a lot of evidence against yeah. Man City at this point. There's also an argument to be made that financial fair play is complete joke as well and it's not there to, desi- to protect the smaller clubs it's there to mm. protect the inner circle of the big clubs there's so many issues here right but let's just begin the conversation from Man City let's assume they'll miss two years of Champions League football if you're a footballer on that team should you show loyalty to this club even though this had nothing to do with you you know you had no bearing on what they may or may not have done do you stick around and, and go two years without Champions League football if you're Raheem Sterling or Kevin De Bruyne or do you do you walk I think you have to. You have to. After what? Walk? No, you have to stay. Yeah. We saw a similar incident with, with Juve back in the day, and I think it was the likes of yeah, uh, Buffon stayed. Even, I think, Nedved stayed for a little bit. Del Piero? Did he st- was he around Yeah, Del Piero then? stayed, did, right? but yeah. it's just... But they're also well-paid still. They're very well-paid. They're also... Hired by a club, not hired, but they're paid by a club where regardless of what league you're playing in, you're still being paid to play for that football club and those fans. But what if there's bonuses with playing in the Champions League? Maybe there is. Maybe there is. So maybe there's, sure there is. there's certain players with clauses in their contracts where they can get out of their contracts and say, this is an easy way out. 100% that's going to happen. But where are you going to Where are you going to go? Well, you look where are you going to go to get more money? You look at Sane. Sane is, is out injured at the moment. There's been numerous rumors about him going to Bayern Munich. And I think, even more importantly, other clubs will use that as a leverage to try and get Man City players now. They'll, they'll, mm. They would have start already negotiations or trying to contact the agents to say, hey, you want to get him out of there? We've got Champions League football next year. It's, mm. it's really the pull of Champions League football which is going to be the key here. And incidentally as well, going back to, to the band, uh, I said it on, on TV when we were on it last year. I, I really didn't think this was going to happen. I said this has happened numerous times where the punishment is either a, a measly fine or it's just swept under the carpet. Yeah. So credit due because they've been found out. Yeah. Now the, the deal is whether the Premier League acts on this as well, Sean. Yeah, point deduction, right? You know? Yeah. Do they take away previous 
championship titles? Do they take away points mm. at the well, moment? Well, they operate under the auspices of the financial fair play. Yeah. Right? Can they so be relegated? Yeah. Money I has know. a funny way of sorting things out, though. It'll be interesting to see whether this stands. Well, yeah, a lot's been said that it's such a severe punishment because they know they will have to acquiesce somewhat in a court of arbitration yeah. to sports, and maybe maybe it's a one-year ban. You know, That's why it's hard to discuss. We, we don't know what's going to go on, right? Yeah. By the time this podcast finishes, there could be something else yeah. happening, yeah. right? The, pro- the problem with financial fair play, and we talked about this before, before we started, was is that the clubs that want to or have ambition to move up leagues to win titles want to spend money but have to go into debt before they start being profitable i think chelsea we saw that man city as well i mean spending tons of money before they become you know making some money and we're not even sure how much that is yeah. because they want rewards now quickly right and it's quicker to right. spend your way out of trouble to start with and yeah. then long term you become more sustainable right and that's i think what city's plan was right. but yeah. they also have to throw money into the club and they've done yeah. it in a very underhanded way yeah. it seems in which case whether you like the laws or not they are the rules, yeah. Right, and, and I like the, the, I like the fact that the they, they shouldn't, you know, overspend. I, th- I think the, the the idea is that they don't want to see clubs become, uh, in a, becoming in a position where they can't afford to, you know, sustain the debt. Let's be honest as well. Man City are not even thinking about this financially. No, because no. as we know, uh, if they lose two hundred million, doesn't matter. The owners can just put. The price of oil up per barrel <laughs> by a cent. Which some people are accusing them of doing anyway. And they've made that money back. Players. It's purely the will to win. They want to be in the Champions League final. They want to be seen carrying the trophy well, year in, year out. To, to yeah. gloom up their, their image, right? That's yeah. it. That's yeah. all it is. So th- whether it's a financial fine of 100 million, 200 million, 1 billion, it doesn't matter to the owners of Man City. No. But the suspension does. The suspension does. Yeah. And that's where it's going to hurt them bringing players yeah. in. The coverage, the marketing surrounding Champions League, that's what's going to hurt them. But have you guys ever been at a club where you are a member of that club and you are playing for those fans? You don't care so much about ownership and about your paycheck or about even personal ambition. You believe in that crest and you are going to play for those guys, those punters paying their... 20 quid to 50 quid to 100 quid a week to watch you play. That's who you are playing for. And no matter what happens outside of that, you'll always be loyal to them. Have you? Be honest. I, yes. I, I, you have? Every club. Every club. Yeah. Really, that was more important to you than a paycheck, than no, your personal No, it's not ambition. so much the paycheck, but you're basically part of a club and the community to, to, to play week in, week out for those fans. You've got to remember, most of the time, we never saw the owners. They were... In a dark room, in a place, maybe not even in the same country that are running your club. We had certain directors that would be at the grounds and they're just like your, your message men. But that can't be that common though, surely. You must have known your teammates are, are mercenaries, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I mean, I understand mercenaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely that's a must factor into the average locker room. A big percentage of guys are just there for the paycheck. And they love their football and they might love that club, but given the choice to go somewhere else... For more money, they'll, they'll take it. Yeah, oh yeah, there's absolutely that. Um, but I would find that at the top end, no matter who these players are, I would find that they, they're they there to play. And the reason why they got to that level of play is because of their attitude to do so. They're not going to tank it for any team because it's going to af- affect you later on down the road. So it's a bit of both, is it? You can be a mercenary and obviously you're paying for a yeah, paycheck. Yeah, but you're going to play... 
for hard. whoever hard exactly for whoever that and often is. for the guys in yeah. the gantry sure if you can make another 10 pound a week more somewhere else will they go yeah sure they'll go somewhere was there ever a club though that you would not have left no matter what for, for, say, say let's say Real Madrid came calling beach when you were at I don't know <laughs> wherever your, your, your favourite mm-hmm. club your boy at QPR or Sunderland or wherever it was was there ever a club that you wouldn't have left for if they were going to quadruple your wages that I wouldn't have left for I think it depends on the situation again. Like my boyhood club that I grew up at uh, was QPR, but I'd already already understood that they were trying to sell me, right. so that hurt me straight away. How That's far different. were you when you grew up in London? How far away were you from QPR? From the ground? Yeah, I was a two mile walk. Right, I used to walk to that was your, the stadium. That's, your club. that's my hometown that's your club. club right. Yeah, so that's where I grew up. My dad took me since I was six months old. So had had QPR not been trying to sell you, and they said, "Listen, Deitch, we we love you. We want you to spend to finish your career at QPR." But there's Real Madrid. Hey, hey, Danielli. I don't know. I want to pay you four it's, times the wages. It's difficult now because it's there's so much razzmatazz and agents involved. Like we also been relegated to the championship. Um, there was numerous clubs from the Premier League that wanted to sign me at the time so I put it in my mind and my d- I, I spoke to my dad that if I was going to leave my boyhood club where I'd grown up since I was 9 years old for 11 years or so that I was, I wanted to make the decision I didn't right. want to go to another English club so soon after leaving my boyhood club and that's why we decided to go to Italy now it's a lot different now you, you're talking about players that I'm seeing at at QPR or, or clubs in the championship where the big clubs are coming knocking on the door it's about the international stage where you can be looked at more because you're playing for a bigger club uh, bigger money bigger cars that was all around when we were younger players as well but it's just I think it's intensified so much more now that the younger players want more as quickly as they can where in in our days it was a build up wasn't it Craig like if you continue to be consistent you was going to get there in the end yeah you know but yeah. now they just want it ASAP yeah. without not putting in the hard work but not being consistent for me if you're a professional player a young professional player that's making it to the top you must have played 25 at least 25 games in the first team if you're to be classified as a, a top young player there's guys that have made two appearances in the Premier League nowadays, they're on 20 grand a week and they're asking for a new contract already. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. But these clubs are, are really, really scared in losing these young players with potential as well. And, so and, with, with and also yeah. now with, with Barsman as well, yep. these players can leave, mm-hmm. right? Used to be Makes it difficult for... To start your career in particular, right? Makes it difficult for teams to you know develop. I look at Ipswich back in the day, they had a, one of the, the very best probably development system in Europe in the 70s and 80s. And then nowadays, they're selling off their 16, 17-year-olds for half a million, a million. They're not even getting a chance to establish themselves in the team. So you develop them, and then because of financial reasons, before they make it, it, you're selling them because you're, well, I'll take a half a million or a million now. You're 13 years at Ipswich, right? Yeah. Right. You show incredible loyalty to Ipswich. Was there ever a time prior to you leaving that you almost left in the years before? Not really, no. Huh? I was happy to stay there my whole time. It was my, I was like a cocoon there, you know, a 16-year-old. It was my little base. I was very happy in the area. Um, and you're going back to, you know, if Real Madrid come calling, I think that was a case where 
you hope the club work with you as well. Um, as much as it's a family club and you love that club and you're going to work hard for them, you would expect that the club would say, you can't miss this opportunity and we're going to yeah. let you go. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit with Ipswich, which I was disappointed with because when I was on a loan at Chelsea, um, but at that time there was no transfer window and Ipswich were happy to have me go to Chelsea. I was doing well there and they had the FA Cup final next and at that point, that's when Ipswich, when I thought, okay, I've spent 13 years here. You've moved on. Richard Wright's doing really well at your club. Here's a chance for me to play in the FA Cup final. And then they played hardball. They, were, they wanted a, a ton of money for me to do that. Yeah, and that's that for a permanent move? For a permanent that move. And Chelsea were, at that point, were not willing to be held to ransom before that final. So they used it as leverage. Exactly. And, and then that's when I sort of decided, I was like, well, that's really, really disappointing. What year was that? 97. 97. Yeah. So just before you left. West Ham, but you could yeah. have left earlier for Chelsea. For Chelsea, yeah, full time. Was it a fee to West Ham, or was it? A, were you? Did yeah, you it was a fee. It was. It was, a, a fee. Yeah, it was about six months before the Bosman ruling came in. Yeah, my timing was impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> but again, going back to the loyalty and stuff that you're talking about, so there were certain clubs as well where you would move on. Like when I moved on from Sunderland, I went to West Brom, and the chairman spoke to me very personally and said we thank you for all your time here and we know that you want to get back closer to London and with your family and there was just that that relationship there and I've been at clubs where I didn't even speak to the chairman or the chairman was negotiating a deal asking for more money like Craig is saying there but had never had any interaction with the player so it works both ways clubs that don't have relationships or don't treat their players as family will treat their players as a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're done or overcooked, they'll just throw you out and move you on, no contract, yeah. or they'll try and move you on to, uh, to a club or uh, a contract or payment that they feel is adequate. And that's why City's interesting because City, I mean, again, using the term family club, but they certainly were a family club now. They are obviously taken over by, by the big money boys. And, and maybe they still are. I don't know. It seems players love playing for them. And why wouldn't you when you're playing for Pep Guardiola, winning titles and making lots and lots of money? But you'd hope there's some kind of loyalty in there, right? David Silva's leaving, end of the season, of course. Mm. We know that. Um, Viz and company left last year. I think they're, they're, they're just big players, resigned. by the way. But huge players, big, big presences in the exactly. room. Exactly. So you right. talk, about, it's whole you talk about the family as well. There was three big players within that locker room, Man City company. Um, Fabian Delph that basically ran that locker room and yeah. kept it as a family so with all the foreign players that are involved in it and that's a big part as well you talk about the chairman you talk about the owners you talk about the staff creating this family atmosphere the players have to self-own it as well and if there's so much of uh, a separation where players are coming in at different times or they're socializing in different circles, it's a recipe for disaster. So what's your gut feeling now, having those players leaving there now? Just gut feeling. Do you well, think that's going to be broken they're up? They're having to team? find new leaders, and I don't think they found those new leaders So do you yet. think that, that that room that will be broken up, that team, if this ban is, is withheld, uphold? I think it's a pretty aging squad anyway now as well, Craig, isn't yeah. it? You look at Aguero, who's still banging goals aplenty, but he's, what, he's not on his last legs, but he's, uh, he's in that time where I'm sure they're looking at bringing in a big, big name striker. You look at Fernandinho, who's an older player as well, fantastic servant to the club. So they're just starting to creep a little bit older, David Silva. So maybe this is a a good time for Man City to change up their 
process a little bit and the way they scout players and bring in players with knowing that they're not going to be in the Champions League for two years. Are they going to be allowed to play in Europe? I'm not sure. Are they going to be able to play in the Europa? I don't think so. I, I think, think so. it's a full ban, a ban yeah. from Europe. Yeah. So maybe it's a time where you say, okay, we're going to reset. We're going to reset. Yeah. Bring in some young players like Spurs did about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. It's Pep a perfect stay? time for him. I think he stays. He's come out and said something this morning and said, my loyalty is to, to Man City Football Club. If we were in League One, League Two, I would still be here. I hope he mm-hmm. does. I mean, again, he could just say, listen, this wasn't my thought they did this. I didn't know they were doing this. I, I think you yeah. understand that. But at the same time, to walk away at this point would be, I don't know. It, it doesn't paint a good picture of a man's character, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. if they, if he wasn't going to leave, okay, so he leaves. Who's going to take over a club that cannot qualify for Europe? You're not going to pick the Pochettinos of the world, are you? If you can't guarantee, or you can guarantee there won't be European football coming mm. up. It's interesting. Depends. If, if, if you're resetting, as we just spoke about, and changing up the squad a little bit, okay, sell some big-name guys that are either struggle with injury or don't want to be a part of the future. Build your team around the Jesuses, uh, the Phil Foldens, who's a fantastic young player, mm-hmm. uh, John Stones. Give these younger players a chance to play week in, week out and build, build a new team around them. Could be playing in the uh, league championship with those players. Yeah. Could sorry, be. Sorry, sorry, John Stones. It's <laughs> not <laughs> <laughs> worked out for you so far. That's all. That's all I'm saying. But what about the race for fifth now? Right? It gets really interesting, doesn't it? If this ban is upheld, race for fifth. Suddenly, Sheffield United what are in story. the driver's seat to Wolves play in the Champions well. League. Yeah. Wolves, yeah. Everton are in the conversation. Obviously, Spurs and United. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, it makes it really interesting, doesn't it? A, a league, a season that was kind of slowly dissipating in the most glorious way possible because <laughs> Liverpool are running away with it. But, I mean, if this goes ahead, my word, I mean, this is suddenly going to be some race to the final whistle, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and if you look at Sheffield United, I mean, going back to years ago in 94, I believe. Uh, was there, Well, not in the Premier League. Remember, he, he didn't play in the Premier League, Pesci. He got oh, released, right, but yeah. they got screwed by, uh, well, West Ham. Tevez, Tevez right? Yeah. And then that deal. So, and then also in '94, they, they uh, I think Steen for Chelsea scored in the last second and put them down, relegated. So, they've had some bad luck, but they've done very well this year. You know, well coached. The coach is very honest with yeah, the players. Well, yeah, he does really well with that, that group of players. So, yeah, so everybody is looking at going. Well, if this stands up, could it be a chance for a club like Sheffield United to be in the Champions League? Yeah. Amazing, amazing and, and, story. And could they forget Champs League? But with that money, could they sustain their Premier League status for a few years? Right. You know, I mean, we did see we see teams now and again. Sunderland being an example, uh, West Ham as well. You both played in those teams. We did really, really well for a year or so, really well. Yeah. Like European football, well. Yeah. And then they couldn't really sustain it, and, and now you know have dropped down in, in the subsequent years. The trouble is with the clubs like Sheffield United and West Ham of those times is that you're trying now to compete on a number of different fronts so different right that's different and your most important one is staying in the premier league so if you haven't got a large squad you have to sacrifice something somewhere yeah and so it's a, hard and to and compete a, on all these fronts so as a footballer in those situations in those teams when you know you've got a lot of games that you're used to you're traveling to far parts of europe every thursday or or whatever it is like what is the reason teams struggle is it just purely fatigue why is it that a yeah. team that, you know, finding their, their way in UEFA, Europe for the first time, generally have a bit of a down year in the league? Why is it? Well, it's tough. First of all, they're not used to it. 
even though they could have possibly come up from the championship where you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday anyway. That's, precise, that's what I was thought. But it you're not travelling half half the way across Uzbekistan or <laughs> Turkey. Well, the Europa League is different Portugal. too because you do play on that Thursday. So yeah. that completely it mucks your schedule up. It mucks yeah. your schedule up. you got that Thursday, then you're travelling back Friday. You'll be playing Sunday. And so your whole week is kind of... But you get used to it, don't you? Uh, it's amazing how it has an effect. Mm-hmm. You and you have really to have a big squad as well. Like that's you have what to I have mean, good yeah. depth. Yeah. Yeah. What's the furthest place you played as a footballer? Biggest road trip? With Millwall, we were in the Europa Cup because we qualified for the Europa Cup. We went to Hungary no once, and uh, that was a that was a, a long trip. But the fans yeah, came with you too, didn't they? Yeah, the fans yeah. came and caused havoc. In Budapest Hungary enjoyed well. that, wherever, yeah. wherever you were. <laughs> 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 that, was a, that was an experience. <laughs> but you, Craig? Uh, well, Romania. It was kind of a different place, West Ham, but I mean, obviously internationally. It's going internationally, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, Mor- Morocco, South Africa, Egypt. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> and really, you really, really first different. Class, were you? No. Well, the, the suits were. <laughs> no, no. Were Where they? were they? That's a good question. I like to think they were, because you know we all, you know, fans of Canadian football have this this resentment towards the CSA prior to about three years ago. So yeah. we, we like to think they flew first class, and you guys are stuck in the in the. Coach. Yeah, the only time I for first class was when uh, FIFA paid for our trip to play in the Confederations Cup in Japan. That was first class. Oh yeah, it was amazing. Well, equivalent. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's FIFA. Yeah, you got to qualify for these tournaments to get first class like that, though. Yeah. Wow. Or we did. <laughs> Flying to Australia, an economy just like plucked up chicken. Jesus. Yeah. For hours. So and Vancouver hours. was it? Vancouver to where? Uh, to Hawaii, Hawaii and Hawaii it? to Sydney. They must wow. have had to yeah. will you off of that plane, Craig. Well, it was worse coming back because it ended up in England and playing the next day. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, that He's still tough. keeping it, right? So yeah. Still Actually, my debut for West Ham was we were playing internationally, Canada, where we were in El Salvador, and the CSA liked to finish off flights. So yeah. there was a pre-camp I didn't go to in Los Angeles, but I ended up flying to Los Angeles meeting up the team. So I went England, Toronto, Toronto, L.A., L.A., Houston, Houston, oh Belize, Belize, El Salvador. <laughs> so we did it coming back. We did exactly the same. Belize, Houston, L.A., L.A., London. Didn't have to stop in Toronto on the way back. Just a bag of hammers. It's crazy. And, I, and, right? I, and Ludo, and Ludo yeah. McCloskey had done his calf in training that morning. So I phoned the club say, oh, okay, I'm back. I'm going home. I know there's a game tonight. I'm not going to be part of it. I'm done. They're like, no, big man, you're, you're, you're playing. playing. <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah. Like, and then you kind of wonder Villa. why like, so many players actually, not for Canada, but for also for the U.S. Or, or teams far, far away, that if they weren't looked after properly and they did not want to play for their national team, and it wasn't because of pride or anything, but it was because of the way that they were either looked after or treated to get to that game. You know, and you, you speak about going on three or four different flights, but then expecting to come home, Craig, and play in the Premier League the next day, where yeah. the fans have no idea you've been on uh, trains, bus, automobile, exactly. planes. They couldn't give a crap. They no. just want you to perform. They want you to perform. But I want like sitting there, going, standing there. There's one game that I can't really remember much because I was so out of it. Yeah. But I was like, "This is my debut for West Ham at Upton Park. 
fans don't understand. And like I said, they don't care. Yeah. And here's your opportunity to shine, but you've, you're well below your, your best. You know that. You did know. you shine, though? How did okay. It? We won the yeah. game. I did okay, I think. But I can't remember. That was one of the. I can't remember much. Of <laughs> no <that>. kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Bosnich was playing for them. Other than that, I don't know. Can't remember anybody. Did the club appreciate your efforts? The club itself, or they didn't care either. They just get your ass. No, they needed play. somebody to play in goal, yeah, and that, right. so that's it. Getting goal. And so they didn't say this. This guy's loyal to us. We, we'll, we'll get no. this guy right <laughs> No. But again, now things. I'm so naive. Things have changed. <laughs> things have changed so much now. Like even with, with our boys, even our younger boys that have been away with the national team, we have all the information of how many miles they've traveled how many training sessions they've been involved with uh, what their loads have been during training or games and this and is like this is a this uh, is academy 17s boys. 20 yeah. under 20s so uh, you can only imagine what is going on at the, the, the full men's national but this team. is because as a club you know that a healthy fit footballer is yeah. far more useful to you than a Jet lag to hell footballer, right? Yeah, Who, just know, throwing them in the right? game. Yeah. It was yeah. it was what they needed, rather than probably throwing in Stephen Bywater. I don't know if he was the younger keeper at the time. He was. They wanted someone that they could trust, experience. They had no idea. He probably had three hours sleep on the way yeah. to the game. It's just that's what you do. You're paid to play, regardless if you've gone halfway across the world to play for Canada mm-hmm. in some Concacaf game. No one in Europe gives a shit about that. Was there any communication between um, your your Canadian national team coaches and your club coaches, vice versa? Was it ever like a phone call? Hey, how's Craig doing? Or oh yeah, there yeah, was, there, yeah, there was, yeah. Um, and they'd always send a schedule too of to to the club about what you're doing from day to day. Um, it was very very clear. I remember one we were playing, trying something different. We go to Mexico City. We try to show up a week before, try to get into that altitude, get comfortable. That didn't work. Tried going in last minute. That didn't work. We tried all sorts of things to combat that. But they sent a schedule to Ipswich Town that we were going to settle in. And by doing this, we're going to play golf for the first four days, and that's it. So they put the schedule. So I'm going to get them. What is this, a freaking holiday camp? <laughs> no kidding. Right? And it looked like a holiday camp because they pulled me into the office, and they're going, well, what is what's this? this, golf, 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 golf? You couldn't wait to get there, though. Oh, I was really <laughs> looking, so, yeah, looking no, forward to it. Is it just, just the four rounds? Yeah. Coco Yoke. That's what the place was called. How would, how would Canadian soccer get any kind of you know, reputation with professional English club football with that kind of itinerary? Right. I'm just saying this is a joke. Yeah, so I'm just saying. Hey, out there. Right. I mean, the, the idea was, you know, I it mean, sense. it made sense. Sure. You know, try something but different. They should have said golf. They should have said, you know. Yes. Where right. Call, uh, you know, That's what I said to the CSA when I got there. I was like, "Gosh, football golf." Football. They just said football yeah, golf. You're <laughs> killing me here. <laughs> Crazy golf. golf the next day. Football golf the next yeah. day. Yeah. The idea was to not to do anything strenuous for the first five or six days, and naturally just get used to the altitude. This and was where the, was the story? Which uh, country were you in? Mexico. Oh, Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mexico. Not doing strenuous in Mexico. It's not <laughs> not the easiest thing. To do. Yeah. yeah. It was a neat place though. Yeah. yeah. Wow. At caddies and the whole deal. Tell me this: so <laughs> when you know <laughs> national national team, and we've been talking about families and like the loyalty, did the national team look after families when you played at home, Craig? Was there any of that? Not other than just tickets, just tickets. Yeah, no. I mean, I know you probably played at like uh, different home stadiums, like mm-hmm. Edmonton. I know you played at mm-hmm. Vancouver. I don't know if you played in Toronto, but yep. Yeah. Again, I just want to know whether. Uh, 
there's the same process where the players are looked after, the players' wives, yeah, no, children. Not at all. No? Absolutely zero. I don't think they would know devices. even who they are or, yeah. or Strange, even care. Yeah. And that's at the international level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Remember uh, talking to it Neil. It should be better. Yeah, it should be. should be much better. But the whole international club argument, you know, it's always been an issue, right? Yeah. I remember speaking to Neil Webb about this once, and uh, he got picked for England while playing for United. And Alex Ferguson pulled him in the day he was leaving and said, you've got a calf injury. Yeah. He goes, no, I haven't, Gaffer. He goes, no, you've got a calf injury. You can't play for England. And Webb said, to hell with that. I, I'm playing for England. Went to camp, and he, he played for England. And he got back to Old Trafford or the training ground the next, wherever it was, and opened the door to the manager, and he ducked as a pen came flying through the air at his head <laughs> from Fergie <laughs> towards Neil Webb. And he goes, yeah, he wasn't best pleased that I went against yeah. his wishes. But that must happen all the time. Yeah. In those days in particular, right? Well, there was no bar or uh, rule as well, FIFA right. rule. So, yeah. they, I mean, that would happen to me in Not that Fergie would give a crap about that to begin yeah. with. Yeah, I mean, it happened to me in 1990, the uh, qualifying for the World Cup. It's probably a really good chance for Canada because Mexico were suspended for playing overage players at a youth tournament. So, great opportunity, but I wasn't allowed to go. My club didn't have to let me go. Now, that also isn't entirely true um, because John Duncan was the manager of Ipswich at the time. And I was established, but he was honest. He was like, listen, when you go, you know, the goalkeeper's going to come in. If they do well, you're, I'm going to leave it lose the same. Place, so you, yeah. you're going to lose your place. So that, that, that's reality of the situation as well. So he did say, I will let you go, but I'll also cover for you. And I'll blame that I won't let you go on that reason. So oh, he, okay. he would have let me go, but he also put me in a position where I was like. That's tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's on you. It's on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really yeah. hard, actually. And mm-hmm. if it was a chance to listen to this, loyalty. There's loyalty from a player to a club, right? Yep. Yeah. You know, which you don't hear Big so time. much about. There, yeah. It does exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you were screwed over, what, 11 years later or whatever it was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nine years later. Didn't No testimonial, nothing. No testimonial. No. Just a piece of meat, right? Just a piece, Just of, a meat. piece of meat. That's all you are. <laughs> Overcooked. A piece of meat. Um, relegation. What about... I mean, this is kind of similar to the city thing, right? Relegation players have clauses in their contracts that if they get relegated, they have a right to leave the club. That's not displaying loyalty, is it? Again, that's that's the individual player with the agents and the clauses that they put into certain contracts. And again, the clubs adhere to it when the contracts are signed. So you'll find that the clubs or directors working at the clubs have contacts within the media and they'll slowly start to see hey oh Sharman wants to leave if we get relegated alright we're bottom place of the Premier League at the moment but he's had a good year Shams you've scored 10 goals mm-hmm. of course he is going to want to uh, leave but the clubs have signed that contract already but, and that's where a little bit of skullduggery starts happening within within the club system and they start blaming agents but the player and the agent have actually put the clauses in the contracts that the clubs have agreed to, negotiated and said yes. Yeah. When it eventually happens, we had it at West Brom with, with a number of players. It's, it's tough when you, when you do sign players. Most of them, if you say that you're going to get, you're going to sign for this club, but if we get relegated, your contract's going to be cut in half. 50%. Yeah. But yeah. they won't sign it. See, that's the trouble with a lot of the Premier League team. When you're after it, they, they're not going to sign that. Right. So you're risking the fact that you've got a big money player that if you get rele- relegated, you're going to see- still pay him the same wages. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the other hand, so you're trying to attract uh, maybe uh, 
13th or 14th player on the roster in the top Premier League club at Arsenal Spurs and you're saying come and join us at West Brom we're going to be in the relegation fight for most of the year you're going to sign permanently but as Craig's saying there you have to sign this deal that if you do sign permanently we'll give you a four year deal but if we go down your wages are cut in half they would rather sit on the bench for that Premier League team and get yeah. on for five minutes here and there than come and play week in, week out. They want guarantees. They want guarantees. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, trust me, probably crazier than anything when you see a player join a, a decent club who's underperforming and after six months they, they don't like it because it's not working out for them and yeah. they, they put in a request. That probably more than players leaving us relegation drives me crazy. It's like, how about you just try and be part of the solution here rather than just, you know, walking away when it gets tough. Mm. Oh, I just, I can't think there's anything more despicable in football than that. Yeah, show, show is uh, true colors, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's easy when you're winning and seeing everybody positive exactly. and saying the right things, but when things go sideways, you, that's, uh, that's when you start to see the true character of Especially individuals. Especially young players who have just broken through from the academy, whatever. Right? Yeah. And they're just making the yeah. first team. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm not very yeah. good. I went out. What actually bothered me the most is when we were getting relegated was the fact that you knew big changes were coming at the club. Yeah. And the people, that was a tough time. Players are fine, but the, there's a lot of people, staff. staff that you get to know very closely that you know that that's going to affect them when you get relegated. They're going to be the ones out of the club. Yeah, that the really victims, bothered me. They? That they're really bothered me. Yeah, it really did. Because you know it, that if a, a Premier League team will, will have its staff in place, a bigger staff, and you yeah. know that they're going down to the championship next year, that's going to be slashed. That's yeah. not easy. But that, that Sunderland documentary on uh, Amazon, yeah, we're showing that. Was that. A tough, it's tough watch. <laughs> Fantastic series, but a tough yeah. watch. Yeah, it really was. Um, we're almost out of time here, but regarding agents, you've mentioned them a few times, and you know, with loyalty, agents don't care about loyalty; they care about you know what's the best for them and their client professionally and financially. But um, is it during negotiations you hear about players saying, "I'm leaving it in my agent's hands. I'm not part of these conversations." I mean, for you guys, were you always part of those conversations, or did you just let? your agent deal with it and you could focus on your football well when I was younger um, I didn't really have an agent you pretty much knew your first professional contract what you're going to get or around within 50 pounds that's at the YTS though right Back coming out of the YTS days, yeah. yeah YTS everybody's on the same um, then you sign a pro contract we pretty much didn't need an agent uh, for that uh, when I went to West Ham at that stage then um, I felt that I did need some need some help, and with Jonathan Barnett, who is Gareth Bale's uh, agent, those guys make a lot of money. Um, but they're just like anybody. Once you're you know you're you're not really useful to them. The uh, phone calls stop. The phone calls <laughs> stop. Yeah. Texas stop. Is that obvious? Yeah. You yeah. know that, do you? Yeah. And then uh, it wasn't it wasn't Jonathan that got my move to West Ham. It was uh, another group, but. Um, but were you part? They're, they're were, you, were you involved in the conversations, or were you very much like you just take? No, they're just basically. Well, don't worry. The the club will pay our fees. This is how it went. Um, okay, so then they do it, and they go. The good news is the deal's done. The bad news, they didn't pay me pay our fees. <laughs> oh, okay. So now I have tens of thousands. Now I owe a percentage. Now I owe my agent that. Then I get to Scotland for preseason. Just show up at the West Ham group, talking to John Hartson about this situation. Go over and talk to Harry at the other end of the restaurant, Harry Redknapp, and Harry tells me, "Don't pay them; they've already been paid." No, they're trying to double end wow. it. Wow, really? Yeah. And yeah. Is Harry being trustworthy? 
Oh yeah, right. he was absolutely telling the truth on that matter. Right? I think he had a heart Harry, there. Harry, like, Harry probably took a little cut as well. <laughs> <laughs> he would have definitely taken a cut. <laughs> he had a little dabble somewhere. But when you heard that, though, I mean, what are you thinking? You thinking? He only used about three or four different agents. Yeah. Right. Because are you thinking the who do I trust now? When you hear that, yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Jesus. Who yeah. do I trust? So anyway, I got rid of them and then went with Jonathan Barnett and his group. Um. Yeah. And then he signed Gareth Bale. And you're like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. But they had, they had like, cricketers as well, didn't they? They had a big, uh, like, organization. Oh, massive. Jonathan Barnett. Massive. They're, still, they're still going now. But. You're, I, think, you're, I think they got, uh, he told me that they got, I think, 10 million pounds for the Gareth Bale deal. Yeah. That's what they made. That was their take. That was their take. Jesus. We're wow. in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> Never too late. Forget about playing. I know. Be, oh, yeah. These sure. guys just sit on the side. Don't get hurt. Yep, and make huge amounts of money. No, you're you're both good human beings, though, so well, thanks, wouldn't Jay. fit in. Um, well, these, you. You, you and your old man were negotiating your early contracts. Yeah, my first two contracts was my first dad. Two, yeah, including Sam Doria. Um, he was part of it with my new agent that okay. I, I Did just started talking to. Did he have a clue what was going on? No idea, <laughs> no idea. But he would just go in, very stubborn in these Italian ways, and say, "Look, <laughs> this is what he wants." I'm like, "Dad, you can't ask for that." He's like, "Of course we can." Really. I don't need 10 bushes QPR, that's like the director would come back to me and went, are you crazy? Like, is your dad crazy? Like, first team players are not even on there. So I'm like, uh, I'm in a really sticky, sticky situation here. conversation with your dad, doesn't it? Dad, listen. So dad, we've like, got to move forward yeah, here. So, all right, we're, we're, we're uh, take it down a little bit here and move. But he would only make me sign one-year deals. He said, if you're good enough... They'll extend you after uh, six months, and you'll get another deal. Or you break your leg. Yeah, and that was my argument. Dad, I could get an injury, and I'm out of contract. He said, but at the same time, you have to perform to earn another contract. I don't hungry, want, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't want you comfortable signing a three, four-year deal. A, you're stuck with them if you are like a player with potential. But B, you're, you have to perform game week in, week out to earn that next contract. I was like, fucking hell, thanks, Dad. You put me under massive pressure, right? <laughs> After two years, I was like, Dad. Terrible <laughs> advice. Yeah, yeah. How about, how about a two-year? Jeez. I'm going to start speaking to a new agent. <laughs> and did you? Yeah, and he was a nice guy, a really nice guy. Maybe a little bit you too f- You too fired soft. your dad? Yeah, I just he was involved in the conversation, but I was like 19, 20 then, and I said, Dad, i got to start being a little bit more responsible for my own. Was that a very tough stuff? conversation? Isn't that, let's let's go really. for a pint, Dad. He, he Listen, I'm firing you. Yeah, he understood in the end, but. Because we were going into the realms of Premier League contract now and all the clauses and mm-hmm. whether it be a sponsor and stuff like that. Like it was just kind of stuff that a basic contract didn't involve. A bit more complex. Yeah, so he was okay with that. And then I stayed with that guy for about six to eight years. Um, and then his wife got really sick. She passed away, unfortunately. So he stopped being an agent. And then I had to try and find a, a new agent. And I, I met this new guy through Don Hutchinson, who was a, a Harry Redknapp guy. Johnny Mack, his name was. Johnny was, Mack? Yeah, Wheeler and Dealer. He could have been teammates, you two. Just think about that. Yeah. He was a Wheeler and Dealer. Yeah. I think I gave him tickets. Yeah, probably. He got caught. He lasted literally. Mike Tickets got caught <laughs> being scalped out the front oh, of the stadium. Really? <laughs> That's Johnny Mack. Yeah. Right? So He's even got an agent. Uh, Perfect agent name, Johnny Mack. Yeah, so I get pulled by Harry, but it was Harry's guy. Yeah, of course he was. So he's like, 
okay, we got a problem. Your tickets have been found scalped outside the stadium with your name on them. I'm like, but I gave them to your guy. Your agent, Harry. Yeah, your agent. <laughs> it's funny. So, and then my last couple of away, con- my last couple of contracts, last couple of contracts here in Toronto, I done uh, did myself. Oh, did you? When yeah, you, when you like here first. Because at the end of the day, they were just minimal contracts with the MLS and with the club, and I told the club what I wanted to stay on for the was next. Was it Mo year. you dealt with, or was it someone? Yeah, Mo. I just Mo. Said, look, Mo. Experience. This is what I want, and he's ah, I can't give you that. Okay, it's not much, but this is what I want. Okay, let me ask you this question, and I don't know if you can answer it or not, but the old myth is that Mo would offer crates of champagne as part of any deal. I never had any of that. Did you hear about I, it? Though? I heard about it. heard that. about it, right? Okay. certain bars and clubs. Maybe yeah. Betty's was included. I hope it's true. I really hope it's true. It's, it's a certain players. I, I can't see that being true. Danny, Danny negotiated the free shopping at, uh, in Lecce. In Lecce. Yeah, so we got free, <laughs> free shopping. I've yeah. loved lots. In Ikea. <laughs> Ikea. Keep, keep mentioning that. Um, <laughs> Mo didn't have a little pistol in his belt, did he? No, definitely didn't have a pistol in yeah. So like, Mo was doing it all? Mo was doing most of it. He was speaking to agents as well, but like for me, for older players, I just I don't want to give 5% of the contract or whatever it was to an agent that was doing exactly the same thing as what I could do on the phone. Yeah, you, knew, you knew what the going yeah, rate was. I, going I rate give was. Uh, Dan Wong 8%. Mm-hmm. 8%? And I don't the, make the, anything. So the wages in MLS are also made public, right? Yes, exactly. So you know yeah, what the going rate is. Yeah. Where in the Premier League, you have no idea. Were they public in 2007 in MLS? I think they've always been public. They were, right? Yeah. They're they're all good. I mean, they've always been. It's one thing if you're making you know, five million or whatever, right? But it's going to be pretty awkward if you're like an average player making 70 grand well, in guys MLS. Were and everyone knows what you're making. Younger guys were earning like 16 grand. I know, yeah. No, those days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Remember, yeah, talking, remember we were talking with Frank Yallop when you brought in David Beckham to L.A. He had guys, he goes, one kid, he goes, we had on the squad, he was, he was begging groceries at a grocery store. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's going to all the parties with David Beckham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can believe that, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was tough back in those so days. And then it was like, I don't know if he was making 25000 and then he got Beckham making millions and you're in the same 18 team. 18 or something, Beckham, yeah. That was a, 18, whatever it was. Yeah. Anyway, it's ludicrous yeah. difference in there. <laughs> There's still a big difference for a lot of the, but it's... At least there's a minimum. Yeah. What's the minimum in MLS now? 45? I think it's 45 for the first year. Yeah. Which is like for the younger players going through through yeah. the academy or GA, which is um, Generation Adidas, is a little bit different where Adidas help out. 45 to play football. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad, hey, Shams. 19 year old kid. <laughs> no, not in Toronto. No, no. Uh, listen, before we end, uh, we just saw that, that really disturbing video from the Portuguese league yes. past weekend. Porto against uh, Vitoria. And uh, Musa Marega was racially abused, wants to leave the field, is physically restrained by his own players. He's almost in tears, if not in tears. Mm. And, and they're saying, do not leave the field. Um, it's disturbing as hell to see this. And just when you think, you know, we're getting more exposure and we're going to see teams take a stand for their, their teammates, this crap happens. Mm. It was incredibly disturbing. He got bullied by his own players not to leave the field, you know, which is incredible. Um, we got to start seeing more of it, making a stand. And, uh, you know, back in the day, certainly, I would say 20, 25 years ago in England, if that happened, we would say to the player, no, you got to stay on. you got to be bigger than them, da, da, da. But nothing has changed. No. Nothing. So the only thing that's going to make a difference is penalties and players walking off because nobody deserves that kind of reception ever, anywhere. And, w- and we can speak about it as, as 
white people saying that they should be strong enough or he should be strong enough to stay on the field and counteract the, the, the racism coming from the stupidity in, in the stands. But we have never, ever been in that situation. We've never, ever grown up as a young black man or a person of color within a community, a school, and now he's in the public eye in, in a stadium. So to deal with having to perform, but then to have to deal with idiots in the stand that shouting racial slurs consistently, we have no idea what effect that can have on a human being. So for me, uh, and I agree with Craig, there was certain stuff going on in the 80s and the 90s that were despicable, but we kind of shunned it and said, hey, grow up, uh, like we, there's bigger we things that we have to deal we with. Did. But I'd admit that. I, I, I Different thought back then. I mean, I was just a 16-year-old going to Ipswich, a rural area. Yeah. There was a lot of racism, lots, lots, and just comments. You know, yeah. Why is it okay to call a kid blackie? Yeah, that's fine. Why is that okay? It's, it's this place of work, right? Yes. Break it down that simply. It's this place of work, and you can't uh, go to this place of work without being racially abused. <laughs> yeah. Right? Break it down that way. It's simple, mm. right? It's pretty simple. Uh, both sets of players should have walked off the field. Yeah. Right. That's the only way you know to start with. Anyway, you, you make a statement, I suppose. Yeah. But didn't. Oh, it'd be good for leaders too around the world to you know make a, a stand and uh, on this too. But unfortunately, we've got a bunch of leaders that around the world that are almost enabling these people. They're happy to make and they're politicians in the UK as well, right? UK. You know, oh, yeah. they've lots of it. Yep. Yeah, but I'm going back to the game as well, the referee gave the player a yellow card for leaving the field. Like, come on. <laughs> Come on. There's, there's so many there's things a situation wrong with it. happening. You have to be deaf or totally blind to not hear or see what's going on in the stadium. Okay, you're refereeing a game, but you can you can hear what's going on. Sure. You can see what's going on. You can see your players affected. And it's not because of a tackle, it's not because of a decision. It's because of uh, an ulterior thing that's going on in the st- in the stands. So come on, please be a little bit more sensible in saying, okay, I'm going to deal with this in a way that is going to be seen by the whole world in how we can move forwards with this. We're going to put a stop to this here. I'm going to be the benchmark, this referee, to stop the game. But they're not thinking like that. They're not. They're they're so worried about the regulations from the federations and all that bullshit instead of making a stand themselves. Yeah. Well, and and I think we discussed this before, but culturally... A lot of Europe is so far behind the times. The average person doesn't see it as a big deal, unfortunately. And, and that's sadly being proven once again, right? And until that changes, this won't change. But uh, like I said, UEFA are happy to hand out massive punishments to a man city for financial irregularities. This is more serious, is it not? <laughs> I would say. This is more of a I think the problem is the they're, they're, they're sitting in meetings. I'm, th- I'm sure they're sitting around going, if we start doing this, we're going to set a precedent. Yeah, and there's going to be dozens and dozens of clubs suspended, mm-hmm. fans suspended. What yep. does that mean? What does that mean? It would for show us, strong you know? leadership, wouldn't it? It would show strong leadership, but they're worried more about you know the financial ramifications and starting something like this. Where does it end? Yep. Because yeah. yep. it's bad. I mean, we remember we're doing UEFA Europa League. You yep. got sort of you know the the small clubs all around Europe that you don't normally see, and. The racism was all over the place. Almost it was weekly. every Thursday, every wasn't it? Week. We were dealing with something. Yeah. Remember the swastika on the field? Yeah, that was a international, wasn't it? Croatia. Oh, uh, that's right. It was international. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very similar to me. So if this is going on within the stadium during a game, you have to steward and police it better. Mm-hmm. But 
empty the stands of where the racial slurs are coming from. Get the fans out. The players off yeah. the field. Until I think I saw a clip of it was Germany, I think, and there was there was some racial chants going on, and it was the fans that police themselves. They yeah. they they pointed out who these people were and got them out. out. So there's that too. Police yeah. yourselves. Yeah. Don't stand for it. Th- there is, and that's ideal, but it also takes a strong person to stand up to some, you know, th- racist thug, you know, with a shirt off doing swastikas and say, "Hey, stop doing that." It takes a lot. Right, yeah. there's intimidation there. I guess. Right, I guess. I don't. The average get person it. wouldn't do it. Obviously, not there's happening enough. People, right? Yeah. yeah. But players can go over to the side of the stadium and start waving their arms at the racist and saying, yep. "Stop it! Stop it! It's not going to stop it." The right. only way to stop it are the two captains, the referee, yeah. and the players themselves showing solidarity to go off the field until it's dealt with. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. The fans will soon start to realize that they're not going to be watching any football unless, as you said, they start shooting, policing it themselves, or they're not watching the game anymore because <laughs> of their stupid well, and behavior. And the thing is that a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, but these guys aren't real fans. But, you know, sadly, they are fans, right? And and seeing their team lose points or lose, you know, positions, yeah. in, that will hurt them yeah. because they are fans. You yeah. know, they're terrible fans, but they are fans, yeah. right? Yeah, the difference between North American sports and sports, especially football in Europe, um, in North America, people go to get entertained. They go to the game to leave all their life's issues behind for that evening. Over there, they take all that with them, and they yeah, want to be point. vocal about it, whether it's religion, politics, racism. All their, their shite, isn't it? it is their platform. Yep, precisely. Sadly. Okay, well... Ending on a Darren note. <laughs> I think it's an important note, though. In fairness, yeah, it's a sure. really important note. It must be dealt with. Yeah. But, uh, well, we talk I about it uh, quite a bit because it, it keeps coming up it keeps a lot. Up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this in Betty's. Betty's uh, King of Sherborne. You've been in Toronto here before, Sean, a couple of times. I live around the corner for like a because long time. Because they got a picture of you up there. Look, <laughs> <just> <laughs> See Shams here? we got to get it up on that Instagram, Jeff. Alone. Can we get that picture of Shams in hey, the corner listen. over there? Yeah. Look. Look at Shams. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Sliced Stone is five. He's, I'm much taller than Sliced Stallone, and whoever he's beside. <laughs> There's a, but there, there is some football paraphernalia here, though. There's um, a Columbia, a, a Carlos Valderrama yeah. signed shirt back there. Yeah. Uh, there's a Matt Letizier Southampton shirt because owner Al is is a big mm. Southampton fan. And you look around; it's just a great place. Fine pint of Murphy's too, eh, Deej? Very nice. We're gonna have How's to we're gonna have Creek? to do a little uh, a podcast live studio live, live, live audience live yeah, audience we'll in it, right? It's been good once we get our beer sponsor. <coughs> <laughs> Just gave Murphy's a uh, free plug. <laughs> How is your coffee, Craig? Oh, it's awesome. Best coffee. <laughs> Must be so cold by now. Ever. Nothing but whiskey in there. Nothing but whiskey. All right, listen, we're out of time. Uh, our thanks to Betty's, of course. Uh, DeanBlundell.com. Uh, Eggplant, Picture and Sound. We'll be back there next Monday uh, at home. Um, and on social, don't forget, you must follow us for all the videos we talk about on this podcast uh, Twitter footy underscore prime Instagram Facebook and YouTube is footy prime the podcast uh, hope you enjoyed that everyone we'll start our next uh, pint of Murphy's port here Deech, and uh, we'll speak to you next Monday thanks for Cheers everybody for listening. thanks everybody thank you appreciate it 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.